Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. This morning, I just felt like maybe the Lord wanted me to go in a different direction, so hopefully it'll be a help to you. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Matthew, chapter number 5. Matthew, chapter 5. We're going to read a couple of verses there. And once you've got your place there in Matthew chapter 5, I want you to go to Ezekiel chapter number 48, and we'll be reading a few verses there in Ezekiel chapter number 48. And I guess you'd call this a topical message this morning, um, and, and I know there are some who would say you should never preach topical messages, uh, but I don't, I don't prescribe to that. I'll just say I believe you ought to preach what the Lord tells you to preach. Uh, and this, this thought is one that the Lord gave me some time back from Matthew chapter 5, and, and hopefully it'll be a help to you this morning. It's been a help to me. In the Bible, you'll find, especially as you go to the New Testament and the Gospels, as the Lord uh, was often teaching to the disciples, and they're in the synagogues, He would often use parables. Amen. Y'all know what a parable is. It is a story uh, with a point behind it. Amen. It's a, it's a story that the Lord would give, and when He would give that parable, the point of it was that there was a meaning or a message behind it, and He was very good at giving those parables, and the point of them usually was to make a divine or theological thought more easily understood. Now, there were times when He'd give one, and people would say, what in the world does that even mean? And He would sit down and explain it to them. But throughout the Bible, there are many times where there are comparisons and metaphors and parables given. There's one particular metaphor I want to talk about that's given in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 14 today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, the Bible says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Verse 14, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Now let's look at Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter number 48 and in verse number 29. This, these are the final verses in the book of Ezekiel. We'll read these together. Ezekiel chapter 48 and verse number 29, the Bible says, This is the land which ye shall divide by lot under the tribes of Israel for inheritance. And these are their portions, saith the Lord God. And these are the goings out of the city on the north side, 4,500 measures. The gates of the city shall be after the names of the tribes of Israel. Three gates northward, one gate of Reuben, one gate of Judah, one gate of Levi. And at the east side, 4,503 gates, one gate of Joseph, one gate of Benjamin, one gate of Dan. And at the south side, 4,500 measures and three gates, one gate of Simeon, one gate of Issachar, and one gate of Zebulun. At the west side, 4,500 with their three gates, one gate of Gad, one gate of Asher, one gate of Naphtali. It was round about 18,000 measures. And the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, this day for Your many blessings. God, thank You, Lord, for allowing us to come once again to Your house this morning. Lord, I pray if You would, God, that You'd fill me with Your Spirit. Lord, as I preach this message, God, that You'd help me, Lord, to, to preach with the unction of the Holy Spirit, Lord, with the authority of the Word of God. Uh, Lord, that these words that You've delivered unto us would be delivered to our hearts, Lord, powerfully this morning, God that would not be done with levity or or done, Lord, nonchalantly, but, God, that we would receive them as the truth of the Bible, Lord, things that we need to hear that are are health, Lord, to our bones, and food, Lord, uh, that we may live by. Lord, help us this morning. Strengthen us. 
And help us, Lord, as we go forward, God, to serve you, to love you, and to live for you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> so, well, it's kind of an odd verse of Scripture there to read. Uh, but there is one thing that is similar and that is, if you will, mentioned in both of these passages that we've read this morning. And that is a city. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, we often quote the first part of there, uh, ye are the light of the world. And in that passage, that statement, Jesus is saying, you're not like light in the world, you are the light of the world. We know that Jesus is the light, but that when He left, He left Himself and His Spirit in us, and that we stepped into that role as the light of the world. That it is our job to go out in the world and shine that light. But the second part of that verse says this, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. And in that statement, the Lord compares a Christian, a child of God, to a city. And there are a couple times in the Bible where this sort of comparison is made, and it's not one that you often really think about or have maybe even seen or ever looked at, but this morning I hope that with the help of the Bible and the Lord, I can show you a couple things that I think we can learn from this comparison of God comparing us to a city. And when I read that passage there in the book of Ezekiel, uh, the thing that stands out to me so strongly here in this passage, which is obviously speaking about a literal and physical place, a literal and physical uh, inheritance, if you will, for the twelve tribes of Israel, the thing that I found so powerful in that passage is this, and this is my first point, we're going to speak about the population of your city. So if each one of us, as a person, as an individual is to be compared to a city unto the Lord, uh, which is the thought this morning, a city unto the Lord, then the first thing that we need to know about is the population. In the proclamation of this city, in Ezekiel chapter 48, there are a number of verses here that go down through and explain how that the goings out of the city, the gates, if you will, of the city, there are 12 of these major gates, and that each one is named after one of the children of Israel. Now, these are prominent names throughout the Bible, particularly throughout the Old Testament, and very important to the children of God, the, the Israelites, if you will, the chosen people of God. But the thing that I find very interesting about it is after all of the mentioning of all their names and the talking about the gates and all the measures and and all of that stuff, you get down to verse number 35, and here's what it says. The name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. The thing that defines this city in Ezekiel chapter 48 is its population. And that population is summed up in one person, and that's the Lord. The only thing that mattered about that city from that day forward, was not whose gate was named after who. There was no difference about whether that gate was a nicer gate, and it was named after Dan, or that gate was a nicer gate, and it was named after Naphtali, or, or whatever. The only thing that mattered, the whole reason for that city to exist, and its identity is tied up in this statement, the Lord is there. And that is exactly the same when it comes to a Christian. The fact of the matter is this. When it comes to us as a city under the Lord, the first thing that absolutely must be true is that the Lord has to be there. Amen. The Lord has got to be there. Speaking of His population, we see His residency. Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 20 is speaking about a church there, as the Bible calls it, the church of the Laodiceans. Now, if you go and you read Revelation chapter 3, and I'm sure many or most of you, probably all of you have, at one point or another, actually, if you read Revelation chapter 1, uh, 2, and 3, and he begins to speak of the seven churches, you will find that as he addresses them, he'll say something like, to the angel of the church in Pergamos, or to the angel of the church in Thyatira, to the angel of the church in uh, in Ephesus, and these things, and you read it, it says, the church in, the church in, the church in. In chapter 3, it says, the church in Sardis, chapter 3, verse 7, the church in Philadelphia. But then in verse 14, it says this, the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. 
That church belongs to the people, not to God. Amen. It's the one of those seven churches that has something very different about them. And what's different can be most easily described in verse number 20. It says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. The Lord is not inside. He's outside. He is knocking on the door and He is asking if they will, if anybody will, let me in. I will come in and sup with Him. And so this city under the Lord is defined first of all by the residency of the most important citizen, the key citizen if you will, and that citizen is the Lord. He must be within, not without. Amen. To be a part of the family of God and to be a city under the Lord, Jesus cannot be near you. He cannot be a part of your life. He cannot be someone that you know about or someone that your family knows about, someone that your parents believe in or that your friends believe in or that this one knows or, or the God they worship at your church. He must be a resident in your heart. Amen. You must be saved to the uttermost by the Lord Jesus Christ. By faith in God, it cannot be a form of godliness. It cannot be a, a, a shallow thing. It must be an eternal salvation. And that only takes place by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit through salvation and the salvation of Christ. Amen. Is He in you? Amen. Is He in you this morning? Okay, at least one, He's in you. How about the rest of you? Is He in you this morning? Amen. Amen. You better know. You better know that He's in you. Uh, now, now this, well, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian or I go to church. No, 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 none of that. I'm not asking about any of that. I'm not asking you to go to church. I'm not asking you, what do you think about dispensationalism or, or what do you think about this? I'm asking you a simple question. Is He in you? Do you know when it happened? Amen. Do you know where you were? Were you there? Amen. When it happened? Do you know? I mean, do you absolutely know? Because if you don't, the rest of this doesn't matter. Not, there is no amount of, of pontificating on all the wondrous truths of the Scripture in your heart, in your life, if inside of you is nothing but dead men's bones. You better know Him. Amen. And not only do we know who He is, but He lives in us. He is a resident inside of you and inside of me that His Holy Spirit has indwelled us. And that, that, from that day forward, the verse said, from that day forward, that city should be known as, the name of that city, that city shall be, the Lord is there. The name of that city. That means that the identity of that place is all wrapped up in the Lord. Not only His residency, but we see His recognition. And that's what that means right there. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. When you got saved... Your identity changed. Up to that point, your identity may have been defined by many different factors. Who your parents were, where you grew up, what school you went to, maybe what job you had, or, or what, what hobbies you did. Or, or there's many different things that are tied up in our identities. And if someone were to ask you to describe yourself and, and describe who you are, there are a lot of things you could have said. But from the moment that you got saved, from that day forward, your name, your identity, your person changed in that it became wrapped up completely in the name of the resident. You ever seen those signs as you go into a city? Sometimes you might go into a town or go into a different place and there'll be a big sign on the side of the road that the city's paid for to put up and it'll say something like, Welcome to blank, home of the blank, you know home of the world's biggest ball of yarn or whatever. 
you know, and that, that place has, they have wrapped their identity up in this thing. You know, this city of, oh, this city is known because this, this famous musician or, or this famous actor or this, this person that everybody in the world knows, they, that they were born here and that's what this city is known for, you know, and uh, welcome to blank, the city of this or, or the place where this was happened, the place where that happened. Well, from the moment that you got saved, your identity changed and it became Paul Shirley, home of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. And that from that moment forward, if, if there was ever an identifying process that went on with me where I was introducing myself to anyone else, the number one thing that you need to know about me more than, than who my parents are or, or where I live or, or what I can do, the thing you need to know about me is that I'm a child of God. That the Lord Jesus Christ saved my soul. That the Holy Spirit lives within me. And that my whole life is wrapped up in who He is and what He did for me. Amen. That your identity would pale and fade in the light of who He is. Amen. Not only do we see His residency and His recognition, but we finally under this thought of the population, we see His reigning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says this, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Amen. This tells us very plainly that once the Lord moves in, He takes over. Amen. Once the Lord moves in, it's now His house. Amen. It's His house. What is? Your body. And then what the verse said, what? Paul said, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? That means He lives in you. He's in there, and it's His. That's what you say, well, what does it mean it's His? Ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. When you got saved and you let the Lord come into you, then now you've got a part of God living inside of you, and for you and God to be in unity and to be in harmony, He's got to be in control. Amen. You want to see a miserable Christian? I'll show you a Christian who got saved but refuses to give God the reins in their life. Amen. Refuses to let God call the shots. Amen. There's a rebellion going on inside your own heart and inside your own chest that the Holy Spirit says you need to walk this way and you need to do this and you need to live this way. And in your flesh you go, no, no, I'm going to do things my way. And the Holy Spirit's saying, don't do that. You're no longer your own. You're mine and, and you're my child and I'm with you. And you know, you really want to take the Lord with you into those wicked things you're doing? Amen? If the Lord Jesus came down to, from heaven and came to visit you at your house, I guarantee, you know, I don't know if, if y'all do this, if any of you ladies or, or men do this, but when somebody's come over to visit, my wife frets over how things look. I mean frets. We walked in the house the other day. We've been gone, I don't know where we've been, and she said, this house is a wreck. And I said, well, you know, I would say maybe this house is a little cluttered. There's some to a couple of toys out. You know, we have children. A couple of toys out here. There was a couple of, di not, not, not piled up dishes, just a couple dishes in the sink and a couple things here and a couple things there. But she's like, no, I, I say this is a wreck. And I'm like, well, I guess your standard and my standards are pretty different. But if the Lord Jesus Christ was coming to my house, I would want it to be literally gleaming. I'd put some kind of, some kind of clear coat on everything. Amen. I mean, I want it to shine. I want it to be well lit. Everything perfect in its place. Everyone just respectful. You know, it's like if the president was coming to visit or the king or, or whatever. You want it to, to look nice. You wouldn't want them to walk in and see your dirty socks in the middle of the floor. Amen. And yet we have the Holy Spirit living in our chest. We take Him into the den of wickedness on a regular basis, don't we? When we say things and do things, and, and, and it's one thing to slip, but when we meditate and premeditate sin... We take ourselves into sin. That's what Paul's saying when he said, you got to recognize your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, that He lives inside of you, that you are a city unto God, 
And there is one key resident inside there, and that is the Holy Spirit, that He lives in me. Amen. And I'm not my own. And I need to quit living my life like I am. Well, nobody knows. But He knows. In fact, He's going with you. He said He'd never leave you nor forsake you. Well, He don't leave you when you go to sin either. He's right there. If you're saved, if He's a resident, He's a permanent resident. He's not a temporary resident. He moves in, and He's there to stay, and now you're with Him, and He's with you, and when you take the reins of your own life and drive it into wickedness and drive it into a place you don't need to be, you're taking Him with you. Amen. And we need to recognize the population of our city. Let me move quickly. Number two, I want you to see the projection of your city. And that's from the passage we read there in Matthew chapter 5. Let me read you a little bit more of that in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 14. The Bible says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen. This verse right here is really a progression of the understanding that we have the Lord Jesus living inside of us. Say, well, I got saved, amen, and I know it. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that you're saved? I know I'm saved, and I got the Lord living inside of me, and I I want the Lord to have control of my life. What He wants me to do, that's what I want to do. And where He wants me to go, that's where I want to go. And I I don't want to do anything He doesn't want me to do, and, and I want to walk in a way that's pleasing to Him. Amen. Well, the next step of that is that first part's really just about you and Him, isn't it? Is He in you, and are you pleasing Him with your life, or are you living with sin? And is your identity wrapped up in who He is? And if that's true, you move on to the next part, which is the projection of your city. Here's what Jesus said. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. He said, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. That's the brightness of our city. The brightness of our city is this. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Now, if you think about the context of the day in which this was written, it's not like it is today where we've got things like light pollution and there's just bright lights everywhere. And even at night, you've got the street lights and all the house lights are turned on and, and it's just kind of light everywhere. You've got to think at this time there's no electricity. And when the sun went down, it got dark. And when the moon wasn't out, maybe it was a new moon or just a sliver left, that it got real dark. Or when it was very cloudy, I mean, just imagine how dark it got. There wasn't no mag light you could pull out to get around, amen. No headlights. You wanted to travel by night, you better be some real clear weather and you better really know where you're going. Or you might wind up with a horse with broken legs and not know what you're doing. But a city in that day set on a hill, could be seen from miles and miles and miles away. you got to think that in a place like that, what lights there could be in the form of torches and fires and, and candles and lamps and all that stuff would be burning there, for in a city there are so many people brought together. And in a place like Jerusalem, where they were traveling at this time, in the Gospels often to worship in the days of the Passover, you would imagine that at night that city could be seen from miles ahead. And that Jesus even goes as far as to say a city that's set on a hill, not down in a valley where it's hidden by the terrain around it, but up on a hill so that from all around, wherever you're coming from, you could see that light shining. And that is the way that a Christian is meant to be in this world. That a Christian in a dark place like this world should be a literal beacon of light. A beacon of light. we got half of a lighthouse up here about to be getting ready for Bible school, and that image of a lighthouse, I don't know if any of y'all have ever been out there and seen that, those, those lighthouses at night as they shine, but that they shine so brightly and so powerfully that you can see them from so far away that it is a sign of where you need to go, and that is exactly what a Christian is supposed to be in this dark world. That if we have Christ living inside of us, that people around you who don't have Christ should come to you when they need some light. Amen. When they need some light, they should know that you have it. You know what happens? 
people, they, they've got their lives and they've got their way of doing things and they, they may live in their sin and they, they just kind of do their own thing and they don't really take time to consider God or, or take time to consider the Lord Jesus. But you let something bad happen. You let a loved one get hurt or get sick or for them to get sick or, or some tragedy, some, some, if you will, wake up serious moment that'll pull someone out of just kind of living in the, the days of their life. And, and what will happen when that, when that occurs, most often they will call upon a Christian. Hey, I, I don't necessarily, maybe we don't believe the same way, or maybe I don't do this, I don't do that, but hey, you're a Christian, right? You go to church, don't you? Would you pray for me? You ever had anybody do that? I mean, somebody who yesterday was cussing God and everything that moved, but today they got some bad news, and they come to you and say, hey, listen, I, you know, I don't want to make you uncomfortable or I don't want to be weird, but you go to church, right? You go to church, and would you pray for me? You know why they do that? Because in a dark place like this, people who truly have the Lord inside of them will shine like a light, like a city in a dark place, and it cannot be hid. Amen. That's the brightness of it, that we should stick out. That's why I said we were a peculiar people, weirdos. Amen. Because we should be. It should be weird that we have joy in difficult times. Because it doesn't make sense to the world. Because it's Christ in us. Because if He lives in you, it will show. The problem is when there's people saying, oh yeah, He lives in me, but there's not a sign anywhere. Amen. The brightness of it. And we see the boldness of it. Verse 16, He said this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And there in verse number 14, the implication is this, If the Lord is inside of you, there will be some light. Amen. There will be. Because a city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. If the Lord is in there, there will be some light. At some point in your life, there will be some things, some signs, some, some fruit, if you will, of, of that the Lord is in there. It cannot be hid. It just is a fact. But in verse number 15, he talks about that candlestick. And he said, when people have a candle, they don't put it under a bushel but they put it on a stick and let it so shine. In verse 16, let your light so shine before men. That implies this, that not only is it bright, but the projection of your city should be bold. That you are letting it shine. That you do not hide that you're a Christian. That when you go to work or you go to school or wherever you go, you take yourself a King James Bible, and at lunchtime you get it out and maybe read it, or, or you, you put tracks out when you go to a restaurant and eat, you pay for your bill, you maybe give them a track, or, or you, you're, you're purposefully and individually doing things to let people know that you have the light of Christ. Amen. That is not something that happens by accident. It is something that you are doing. Here's what he said. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. The way we talk, the way we dress, the places where we go, the way that we act, our attitude, all of those things should reflect the one that lives inside of us. Our lives, if we are children of God, should be defined by Him. If it is defined by something else, you are failing as a child of God. If you are hiding your light and you go to work and and it's time to eat, and you think, well, if I was at home, we'd all bow our heads and say the blessing, but you're just going to kind of, you look around, you go, well, thank you for this, amen. You know, one of those little quick, just kind of jab it in. The reason you do that is out of fear. And that's the devil trying to get you to bushel that light. But let me encourage you. When you pray over your meal at work or at school, and you're sitting with friends, or people, you know, say, hey, y'all give me just one second. Bow your head and pray. Say, well, the Bible says when you pray, you should do it in your closet. Amen. And I agree. You should have time alone. And, and you're not praying because you want people to think, oh, look how spiritual I am. You're praying because you're letting your light shine. You're doing good works. Is it a good thing to pray? Absolutely. When you're in a room full of people and half of them don't even know who the Lord is, and some, many of them probably don't even like Him, it's a real good place to do something good. Read your Bible and pray and, and be kind to people. Amen. 
help, you see somebody that, that, that needs something, you see somebody that, that, that had, you know, you know what I like to do, and, and this, is, this is such a small thing, I had somebody at some point tell me this, and it stuck with me, if I'm ever somewhere and I see trash on the floor in Walmart, or I see something going on, I feel convicted if I just walk by it and say, well, they pay people to pick that up. Hey, man, but you know what? It just might, by my good works, bending down and picking that trash up, somebody might see that and think, huh, what was that all about? Because it's our job to light that candle and hold it out. You say, that's, that's silly. No, that's different. That's different. Amen. And our job as Christians is to do good things that have a good influence on people and a good impact that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. That's the point of it, isn't it? Amen. Now, we might you say, well, I, I, you know, I don't know about this or I don't know about that. Let me just encourage you. The projection of your city matters. God lives inside of you. Amen. I'm glad. Say, I'm saved and I know I'm saved. I was there when it happened. Hallelujah. And now that you've got that settled in your heart and you've got that settled in your life, what you need to do is you need to start looking at how that you can so let your light shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen. Let me give you this last thought and we'll be done this morning. Not only do we see the population of your city that it is defined by the Lord is there, and we see the projection of your city that we should so let our light shine before men, but I want you to see finally the protection of your city. Cities in this time, in this day and age, and to some extent now in some places, not so much now as it was then, one thing that defined a city as opposed to a town or a village were walls. Cities had walls. And that the city that we described there in Ezekiel chapter 48, talk about all the gates. Those gates were in the walls. And those walls were there for a very particular reason. And so when the Lord in the Bible describes us as a city, He's describing us as something that has walls. In Proverbs chapter 25, in verse number 28, let me read you this verse. It really says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. You see that? He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Let me tell you this morning, I honestly believe that one of the key reasons that the church is suffering today, that we are seeing people depart from the faith, and that we are seeing a breakdown in church attendance, a breakdown in, in people who believe in God, and people who say, I don't even believe the Bible anymore, and we're seeing all these things. Many of these things, the reason we're seeing these things is because in generations past, men and women have torn down the walls that God erected in our lives. Walls are intended for a couple of things. One, walls are intended to keep some things in. Amen. They're intended to keep some things in. Hedges, if you will, in our lives and, and in our homes. There are some things, some walls that we should erect that we're going to say, I will never let this thing out. In a modern setting, uh, when you think about walls of protection, I would say the most applicable thing that we, uh, that we use that's being used in our everyday lives that we don't realize it now are firewalls. Y'all heard of firewalls? Digital firewalls. They are software walls that are erected in your phones and in your computers and in all the digital uh, online connected things that you have. And those firewalls are intended for the same thing, to keep some things in and to keep some things out. So what's it trying to keep in? Well, you know, all of your personal information that you don't want shared on the Internet. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day uh, who, who's still waiting to get back their tax return because when they went to file their taxes, they found out someone had already filed their taxes and claim some Social Security and all that other stuff because they stole their identity. Uh, and so they had to go through the whole process of getting that taken care of. And odds are that happened at one point or another because somewhere where that information was held, the wall was torn down. And in our lives that we live in, there's some things that the Lord has given us, some things that He has taught us, some things that we need to grasp with both hands and absolutely never let go. Amen. 
such as the canon of the Scriptures, the King James Bible. Let's just go ahead and agree that we're never going to compromise on the King James Bible. And if you say, well, I don't really understand why. Well, in, in the teen Sunday school class, uh, I've been teaching for a couple weeks now, and we've been talking about why we believe the King James Bible is the only Bible. And if you don't really understand that, you don't know why, I'll be glad to sit down and explain it to you. And I'll tell you this. It's not because, bless God, that's what we've always used. That's not why. There are legitimate and clear and good and plain and commonsensical reasons that we believe that the King James Bible is a perfect Bible that God has preserved, and I'm never going to let that go. Amen. We don't need to start letting more go and tossing things out. No, there's some things we need to keep in. We need to keep the canon of the Scriptures. We need to keep our church. Amen. Let's not get church out of our lives. The Bible says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but much the more as you see the day approaching. You know what that tells us? That we need more church, not less church. I know there are a lot of churches who are, who are now calling off Sunday night service, and they're calling off Wednesday night service, and those people in those churches, they can do what they believe the Lord wants them to do, and I'm not going to blast them for it. But in our church, I'm going to tell you this, I intend to keep having church. Amen. I intend to keep coming together and worshiping God and getting more of the Word of God. Because I'm going to tell you, I need more God, not less. I need more from the Bible, not less. I don't know about you, but I struggle as it is just to do right. Amen. And I need the Lord. I need to come to church. And, and I need it. And when I'm here, you know what? Pay attention. Amen. When you come to church, get what's being given to you. Come looking for it. Don't think, I, I, I've got everything I need. I don't need to know what, I don't really know, need what that preacher's saying. I don't really need this. I don't really need that. Yes, you do. And you used to have some walls in your life that told you that be in church and, and get, get what the Lord wants you to have and trust in the Bible, but we're tearing those things down. Now it's being taught to our children. It doesn't matter what Bible you use. It doesn't matter if you go to church. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. That's a lie. That's confusion. That's false. That's not true at all. We need some walls. Thank God for some walls that my parents put up in my life to protect me from some things. And I'll just tell you, I was a meathead. And I went and snuck around some of those walls sometimes. Amen. So did some of y'all. And, and did things and that my parents didn't want me to do or, or said things they didn't want me to say or, or broke this rule or broke that rule. But thank God that they, that they loved me enough to put up some walls in my life. Amen. The canon, the church, cleanliness. You ever heard that statement? Cleanliness is as unto godliness. Well, let me tell you, that's not a scripture, even though I've heard some people quote it like it is, but there is some truth to it. That we ought to walk clean and live clean. Chastisement. Uh, you know, when did Christians become so undisciplined? We need some discipline in our lives. Ain't this good fun, preaching? Let me tell you something else we need to keep in. Our children. Stop letting your children out of the walls. When the sun goes down, close the gates. That's what they did. Did you know that? In the cities, when the sun would go down, those gates would go closed. You know why? Because nothing good happens after dark. That's why. You know when the danger happens? Dark. You know where the sin happens? It don't happen in the light. It happens in the dark. That's where it's at. For some reason, in this day we live in, where, let me submit to you, and this might be a little personal, but we're living in a day where your children are in more danger than they've ever been. So, oh, you're going to start preaching that fanatical stuff. Oh, no, I'm just going to give you a little bit of straight common sense. If I had had this when I was 12 years old, there's no telling where I'd be right now. Amen. Always on... No walls. Now, did you know there's walls? Y'all know what Nintendo is. There's a gaming system, the Nintendo 3DS, a little like a Game Boy. When I was a youth pastor uh, at New Water, we had a kid who had a 3DS where you play Mario, Mario Kart, Zelda, you know, all those good spiritual games that I love. Amen. They also had a web browser on there. Parents didn't know that. Did you? Did you know Nintendo has a Game Boy with a web browser on it, basically? And that web browser can go to any website you can go to on your phone. 
Y'all remember the Nintendo Wii? Anybody ever have a Nintendo Wii? You play like Wii Sports, and you know, it's a web browser. And it's in their bedrooms. If they can type with a Wii remote controller, they could go to any website they wanted to. We had some kids who discovered that, and one thing led to another. The parents couldn't believe it. Here's what I said. You may not play Nintendo. You may not play Xbox. You may, not, you may not be on social media. You may not have a smartphone. You may not have a laptop or a computer. But if your kid does, you better know as much about it as they do. Amen. You know why? Because you're the one who's going to have to put the walls up in their life. The devil is trying to get in through any gate he can. Y'all understand that? The devil is trying to get in through any gate he can. He's going to try to get in through music. If he can, he will. He's going to try to get in through what they watch. If he can, he will. What they read, if he can, he... Amen! Do you really believe that the devil doesn't care about your children? He does. He wants them. The world wants your children. My daughter, sometimes she watches uh, uh, some kids' programs and things on like kids' YouTube and stuff, and, and we try to limit how much she does, but sometimes she'll be sitting there and she'll be watching something, and she's got certain ones that Brooke has, has subscribed her to or that, that what she's watching is okay. And she's watching one the other day, and she heard uh, something mention the word pronoun, which used to just be a grammatical term. But now it's a politically charged term. And Brooke kind of paused, and she just stopped and listened to it, and it was talking about pronouns, like teaching, like he and thee and what they mean and she and all that stuff. And said, but some people prefer other pronouns, and they like to be referred to as they, or uh, this and that and this and that. And we had to immediately take it and delete that entire network, that thing from it, and just take it away. You know why? Because they're trying to teach my three-year-old that darkness is light and light is darkness. You think they're not going to try to do the same thing to your 14-year-old, 12-year-old, 9-year-old, 17-year-old? The walls were erected to keep some things in, but they were also erected to keep some things out. There are things that we do not even need our children to be exposed to. The things they see and hear and experience when they stray are things that will never leave them. Do you have things in your life that you've seen or done or experienced that now as a Christian you wish you could forget? Do you? Scars of things in your past? You know what those walls are for? To keep some things out. We're letting the world in through every gate. We just hand them something that gives them access to anything in the world and say, they'll be fine. And the truth is, they won't be. They're going to get hurt. They're going to get, they're going to get hurt. They're going to get... And, I, and listen to me. I'm not telling you that you should go home and if your kid's got a 3DS, break it. That's not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is, you need to start putting up some walls. Did you know you can block things on a phone, on a tablet, on a game system, on the internet, that you can personally go in that you can know what they're looking at. Amen. Is this a little too personal, a little too applicable? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I am not okay with losing any children to the world. I'm not okay with losing one. We say, well, we only had those three little ones up here this morning. Last week we had all of uh, Brother Cameron and Miss Kaylee's kids and some other ones, and we've got some that are, that are little bitty babies and some back here and and all these children, we go up here, and they, on Wednesday night, they got the children's church, and all those little ones from 3 to, to 11 or 12 or whatever, I'm not interested in losing one of them to the world. I, I'm telling you, I will fight tooth and nail to protect every one of them and to give them the Word of God and the truth of the Scriptures. I don't want to lose one to the world. And it's that important to me. Amen. Is it that important to you? Are the walls up in your home? Or are we letting the world and the devil in through any gate he wants? And they're all just wide open. A man or a woman who has no control over their own spirit, that is, how they live and what they do and what they say, has no control, no rule, and, and no, no discipline and control in their own life, 
is like a city broken down without walls. When the walls are gone, you relinquish control to the world. A person that cannot tell themselves no is a person who has no rule over their own spirit. You allow the world, the flesh, and Satan to come and go as they please. We've stopped making them pay the toll. There was a time when, before you, we, you know, when my parents growing up, when, when I wanted to go stay the night with somebody, I don't know about y'all, but I always wanted to go stay the night. I never wanted to be home. I don't know why. But before they would ever let me go stay the night with someone, they needed to know them well. Amen? And I, I just make a friend at school. I wasn't allowed. And if you were, I'm not throwing off on that or anything like that. It's just, you know, my parents were afraid and had some concerns. And, and they weren't super strict, but, you know, they kind of want to meet their parents and find out some stuff about them before they send me over there and, and know this was going on or that was going on. And I'll just tell you right now, the reason they did that is because in order for something, as me as a child, for something to come into my life and become a part of my life, there were some tolls that had to be paid. Some things that had to be shown and some things that had to be proven. Before I could listen to that music, I needed to know that it wasn't going to be the wrong kind of music. Before I could watch this, I needed to know it wasn't the wrong kind of thing or do this. And, and there were some tolls that had to be paid. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Here's what Jesus said. There's going to be some people and some things that want to come into your life and they're going to look okay from the outside, but you better have some walls up and you better have some protocols in place because some of them Inside are ravenous wolves, and the thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So, what are we going to do? If we are a city unto the Lord, say, Brother Paul, the Lord lives in my heart, and I know He does. Are you submitted to the Lord? Or are you living your life the way you want to? Are you letting your light so shine before men like a city that's set on a hill and cannot be hid, or... Are you showing the world Christ through your good works? Are you protecting your heart and protecting your home by erecting the walls that God wants you to have in your life, the walls of the Scripture and the walls that the Bible teaches that, that we protect our loved ones from the devil, lest Satan should get an advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let's all stand. Ms. Brandy, if you would. I hope this morning that you recognize the absolute importance of protecting yourself, your heart, your mind, your family, that you understand the absolute necessity that, that you not just know who Jesus is, but that He lives in you. And that we have been called to go out into this world and to let our light shine. Are you letting your light shine? Are you living your life for God or are you living your life for yourself? Because let me just tell you, if you have been saved, and you are living your life for yourself, it is a matter of time before those broken down walls let in something that will destroy you, destroy your children, destroy your home, destroy your family. The devil wants to destroy you. And God has given us what we need to overcome him, to protect ourselves, his word, to live for him, to love him. Why would we put all that aside and say, ah, there's no danger. I have need of nothing. Why don't you come this morning? Why don't you come to the Lord this morning? If you don't know Him, if you've never been saved, you can be saved today. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. So Brother Paul, I know I've been saved, but... I've not really been living right, and I've got some sin in my life. Amen. You can come right now, and you can lay it at the altar. You can come right now and give it to the Lord. You can repent of your sin. You can ask Him to forgive you, and He will. The Bible teaches that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Brother Paul, I, I'm saved, and I'm not necessarily living a sinful lifestyle, but I've not been letting my light shine. I've been hiding it under a bushel, and I, I've been trying to blend in in the world, and, and I've not, I don't remember the last time I told anybody about the Lord Jesus. You ought to come and ask Him to forgive you for that this morning. You ought to, ask him, you ought to come and ask Him to give you boldness this morning. Ask Him to, to fill you with courage and boldness that when you go out in this world, that you will be a light that shines, that by your good works... People will see the Lord in you. Say, Brother Paul, I've torn down the walls in my life. Today's a good day to start rebuilding. Say, well, my kids will be mad at me. You know what? They might be mad at you today, but I can tell you, I don't have a bit of bitterness or a bit of anger at one of my parents for any of the things they ever did to try and protect me. Because it was good. And it was right. Our Father in heaven, Lord, God, we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, how wise you are. Thank you, God, how strong you are. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you love us, God, that you're long-suffering. Lord, thank you that you're merciful and that, God, when we tear down the walls in our life, God, that sometimes you, you just put up a spiritual hedge of protection and you keep things away for a time and, God, you, you're just long-suffering and God, you just give us more time and you give us more grace. Lord, I pray this morning, if there's someone here today, God, that is, that is not putting the walls up in their life, Lord, they've allowed the devil and the world to come in through every single gate and everything, every single avenue of their life, that their life is consumed with worldliness and has just the smallest little modicum of spirituality. God, I pray, help them to realize the error of that lifestyle. Help them, God, to see, Lord, if they don't start putting up some walls and and rebuilding the presence of God and the Scripture in their lives, Lord, that they're headed down a path of destruction. That there are people on that path that inside are ravenous wolves, God, that want nothing more than to destroy them. God, I pray, please, bring them to You. Protect them. Show them that way. God, this morning I pray, if there's one that does not know You, Lord, God, I pray, please, let them come. Let them kneel at the altar and let them come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ today. God, we can do nothing without You. God, thank You so much for the day that I met You, that You saved me, that You came into my heart, and that from that moment forward, I became known as a child of God, that the Lord is there. Thank You this morning for the service. Thank You for these people. Thank You for this church. Please bless these words and let it go with us. And ring in our ears and our hearts. We love You. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord.